Okay, take six. Hailing frequencies open. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Comic Book Dungeon Podcast. My name is Mark, and I'm coming to you from the bridge of the Comic Book Dungeon. And my name is Deja Vu Cruz, and I'm coming to you from the deep underbelly of the ship in the Comic Book Wolf Spider Arena. Do you uh, do you remember the episode of Next Gen uh, where they're stuck in that temporal loop? in the, uh, yeah. the Titans Expanse, yes. and they just kept yes. doing the same thing over and over. That's the seventh time we've like, done that intro. <laughs> so I feel like we're stuck in that episode. Oh, man. Yeah. Yep. Uh, definitely a, 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 a repeating pattern going on there. <laughs> we're good oh. now. We're good now. Let us boldly <laughs> go where no podcast has gone before. You guys are just joining us. Uh this podcast, we go back, we're talking about older Marvel comics, we finished our run of uh, Amazing Adventures uh, featuring Killraven, and we moved on to the Star Trek, uh, the motion picture comics from 1980. Yes. Based on the Star Trek, the motion picture uh, movie license. So, narrow down a cast of characters, and you probably won't hear too much about stuff from the past, but... Uh, these are the uh, wilder and zanier adventures of the USS Enterprise. Um, we ever, it's not a Marvel comic, it's Gold Key, but the original, they're the ones who had the original Star Trek license. If you want to see some wild and wacky fucking comic adventures of the Star Trek crew, you should read some of that. There's like Vulcan voodoo and magic and all sorts of crazy shit. Nice. Yeah. Uh, but do they have murder mysteries? Uh, not as good as the one that we uh, that we read today, which uh, can't wait to get into. But yeah, I I really enjoyed this one, and uh, I was just so amazed that much like our Senate, they managed to solve it without calling for any witnesses. <laughs> I think uh, I'm going to have to disagree with your definition of solved, at least when it comes to the Senate. <laughs> well, I was stretching a little bit, but I had to throw that in there. <laughs> Oh, well, you know, democracy's broken. <laughs> but how are you? Uh, me? Uh, I'm in a perpetual state of grief for many things, and one of them is the freaking, uh, the, the death of our uh, institution of democracy. It, it's been murdered and stabbed, so, like, about 53 times in the back. Yeah, it's, the Republicans have just kind of stopped saying, you know, or stopped kind of, the like, the corruption in the shadows, and now they're saying that quiet part loud and proud. So, I mean, it's really just out there, but... Yeah. Yeah, I know. It's a bummer. We're, we're heading more for the dystopian future than the, uh, the the bright light one that's envisioned in these pages. Hold on. Hold on. We missed the eugenics wars of the mid-90s. So, we're right <laughs> on track, though, for, the, uh, for World War III in the early part of the 20th century. Well, uh, okay. You know, uh, my, 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 my eldest daughters and I have have already gotten a catchphrase uh, for uh, for this year, uh, and, and it, it's, it's been 2020s off to a shitty start. <laughs> uh, and uh, we, I, I'm pretty sure they're going to get their own hand-painted version of a doomsday clock posted in their room pretty damn soon. <laughs> because uh, we've, got, we've got a continent on fire, we've got a plague spreading in the east, 
we have basically what it amounts to, in any freaking biblical sense of the term, the Antichrist as the president and leader of the so-called free world now. What else do you want? I mean, all you need is fucking Nostradamus hosting his own fucking podcast and blog telling us the end is fucking nigh. Oh, I am naively hoping that things are going to turn around in 2020 and we're going to learn some lessons along the way. I have something that's going to make you feel maybe a little bit better. What's that? Let me ask you a question. Uh, Okay, and I will give you an answer. Under the age of 30, in the United States, um, what percentage of, uh, of people do you think identify as conservative? I would probably say somewhere around 30 to 35%. 18%. Woo! There is a silver lining on this cloud of despair. We just need to just just wait out the clock on uh, the boomer generation. And the, I mean, they are, they are just, they, they're running out their clock with as much damage as they can do here before they, uh, they stop being relevant. But when your kids and basically the generation between them and us really become like a, a, a big voting block. I mean, they are going to, uh, the, it's going, the Republicans are going to have to do a major overhaul to stop from being completely irrelevant. I, 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 I feel what you're saying and I, 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 I hope, and I hate to use the word hope because hope is basically fucking worthless right now. But, uh, I, the thing that concerns me the most uh, about this whole thing, and uh, it, it's something I've unfortunately had plenty of time to think about lately, is that um, my concern is that, that by the time that generation has the ability to flex its electoral might, it will have already been stillborn by apathy. Um, I'm, I, I would be lying if I said that's also not a concern I have, but I, I look back at 2018 and I mean, just there, there was a very clear message that was sent by the uh, liberal-minded people in our country that you know you, you know, a Jeb Bush, a John Kasich, even a fucking Ted Cruz would have been one thing. But I mean, you you voted the one person in office whose whole job was to dynamite the system to profit himself, and I, I think we're going to see a lot of pushback in 2020. Um, that's what I'm hoping for. I'm hoping that the masses will be uh, invigorated and enraged by the, the, the utter miscarriage of justice and this fucking walking, talking, breathing abortion that we have fucking in the Oval Office that they will uh, flock and respond and and push back really hard and continue to do so. And that that's the thing. Like the, the older generation has been playing the long game. And they they put themselves in place to be able to play that long game, and, and we're hopefully the, the younger generation has a more long term mindset and will keep fighting the good fight for as long as possible. It, in modern presidential elections, Republicans don't win so much as Democrats lose. Republicans have a pretty static turnout when it comes to presidential elections, and that's because old people vote in in, in pretty static numbers. If yeah. you look at, I mean, it was like, if you look at a bar graph between like 20 or 2008, 2012, and 2016, I mean, there's just this very linear, I mean, it's like half the people who voted in 20 or 2008 for Obama voted for Hillary in, in 2016. 
and it was just that that empathy or apathy that you were describing is what uh, motivated that. As we we have not seen in modern politics a democratic turnout like we saw in 2018, and that was an off year, you know, election. I think you know a non presidential election. I think in 2020 you've had my fear in 2016 was that Trump was going to kind of settle in and stop doing his little boner, st- dumb, stupid bullshit, and that people were going to, that apathy was going to set in again. And, I mean, he's just, every day is a dumpster fire. I mean, I think, <laughs> I mean, and I argue with people about this a lot. It's what put Trump over the top in terms of support. I mean, he lost the popular vote, obviously, but it was a lot of people who weren't politically minded, a lot of people who were apathetic to the process, who didn't do any sort of research, who... Oh yeah, this guy, he seems like a a, a different kind of uh, politician. I'm going to vote for him. That same person's had their uncle's farm fucking go under or their best friend who's a government contractor not get paid for 2 months because of fucking Trump's temper tantrum or had, you know, a friend of a friend's like property seized to put up a fucking wall that fell over because of the wind. I mean, it's just been (laughs) every day is a new failure and a new scandal. So a lot of those people who don't know anything, they know. I mean, 75% of people out there want witnesses. They want to know because they think there's some crazy shit going on. He's tainted his brand. So you're going to have the people who vote Republican no matter what vote for him. That's not enough to win an election. The people who voted for Jill Stein and whoever the fuck or didn't come out last election are the people who are going to vote in numbers this this uh, coming year. The people who don't normally vote Republican or who are on the fence and just uh, didn't or just, oh, he seemed like he's that guy from TV. Let's give him a shot are not going to be coming back. It's the people who he could shoot a baby in Fifth Avenue while stomping on a puppy and still vote for him uh, are the uh, are still going to support him. But that's not enough. I think too. Uh, I I hope so. I mean, I, I, stranger I really things do. have happened, obviously, but like we have a friend, mutual friend, who he points to 2016 that well the polls are wrong then, so I can't believe anything now. And I, I understand polling's not the best system, but I mean, I, I feel his logic is you know last thunderstorm my car got hit by lightning, so now I think every light every time it thunders, every time there's lightning, my car's going to get hit. No, I mean it's. I, I think 2016 was a bit of a freak occurrence. Right. I mean, we've only... I mean, it's... I, I don't think that you can say from every election, everything is completely unpredictable and the least per, uh, likely event is going to happen. Everybody had predicted Hillary was going to win with a margin of error. That means that there's not certainty in that. And I think that's what kind of people forget when they look at those numbers. Yeah. I, I'm, I, I, I am generously hoping that we... we, we we course correct and, and and try and fix this. Uh, other than that, um, much like uh, most uh, most uh, guys uh, that were uh, in our age at the time, uh, counted down the date when uh, Mary Kate and Ashley Olsen would hit eighteen. I'm counting down the date when AOC hits thirty five and can run. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I I look forward to to that. I think she's a, a heavy hitter. Uh, I think so. I th- not only I think she's she's a heavy hitter. She's she's passionate, and, and 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 as far as I can tell, pretty pretty fucking genuine. So I, yeah, 
I got to say, I, I am a little bit worried about what happens when Trump loses the election. This is my prediction. And again, this shit has been oh, God, all unpredictable. Yes. But my prediction is in the weeks leading up to the election, he's going to keep talking about how rigged it is. And this is how the, all the stuff that is not really going on, but he knows and everybody's talking about. Because that, when he doesn't have facts, that's just what he says. He's like, everybody's oh, talking yeah. about it. Everybody knows. And the day of the election, he's going to say, everybody's talking about these buses, these unmarked buses and how they're seeing all these illegals. Which you can't rig an election with illegals because illegals are not registered to vote. So, I mean, it's the stupidest thing. I mean, well, it's, yeah. like, it's like saying... Insect monsters came in and were voting four or five, six times. I mean, it's a non sequitur. It doesn't make sense. But I think he's going to call and doubt the results. And then afterward, the entire two months leading to the swearing in of who does win the election, he's going to keep calling into question. Because this, this is what he does. Especially he'll sue. He'll try to sue... Uh, um, the various states that he lost in, saying that there was irregularities. And I think the courts are going to try to move pretty quick to uh, terminate or to to throw out his lawsuit saying that there's not a, enough evidence. But uh, I, I think that there is going he's going to throw enough doubt into his supporters who are not factually based mine. I think that when the in January, when the next president is sworn in, I think you're going to see uh, violence. I think you're going to see uh shootings i think like the same people who tried to set comet fire on pizza who came in there with an assault rifle i think you see mm-hmm. though you're gonna see armed protests <laughs> that turn into armed skirmishes so i mean i don't yep. think it's going to be like you know you know ten thousand people dead but i think there's going to be people shot by right wing right wing conspiracy loving QAnon bullshit yep fucking idiots who uh who are gonna buy into my guy lost, so it must be a conspiracy. I lost my voice in government, so this is the only solution I think I have to me. And because he well, yeah. stirs up violent rhetoric. Yeah, well yeah, that's it. It's just gonna it's just gonna be an amplification of the already existing rhetoric that he sows. I mean, it's the rhetoric that gained him the election in the first place, which was, you know, where we want you know, he he wanted to you know, say that he was trying to give a voice back to the working man, my fucking ass. But anyways, you know, it, it's what the fucking the, the what what was that city in Virginia, Charlotte? Yeah, yeah. With the whole fucking Jews will not replace us fucking quotient of the populace that fucking you know doesn't seem to fucking grasp in their tiny little fucking brains that the reason why they're middle class life is fucking devolving into a struggle is not because of the fucking people the lower class below them that are trying to scrape for the same thing it's because you know the, the, their existence is basically benefited only the ultra wealthy and it's it's eventually going to squeeze itself dry any 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 fucking model you have ever seen of capitalism in action if you leave capitalism unchecked, it will turn around and devour itself. And and I feel like we're we're at that we're getting to that curve where it's starting to turn around and it's starting to run rampant and it's starting to fucking kill itself. Like the uh, the Republicans, the party of the one percent, and you have all these fucking people like in Kentucky who are on welfare who continuously vote against. Obamacare and wealthcare, the stuff that's keeping their family fed and alive, 
and they're doing it because they will not vote for right. somebody who is not in that one percent who would not cross the street to piss on them if they were on fire. I mean, it's, exactly. Yeah, I mean, it is when you look at the distribution of wealth in this country. I mean, it is insane that you keep voting for it's these appalling. people. Yeah, it's. The Republican Party's whole job is just to keep the wealth in that 1%'s hand, and you just have the poorest and most uneducated continuously enabling them to do it. Yeah. I mean, it's... Uh, it's, it's, it is mind-boggling. And, and for, for anybody, any person out there who thinks, well, that fucking billionaire made his money the hard way and he earned it. No, the motherfucker didn't. Okay, if you're a billionaire, you made that money on the backs of the people that work for you. Especially, I mean, how many people who were in the 1% were out there like fucking Bill Gates trying to build something up? Or how many of them are like their fucking great-grandfather was a robber baron who fucked over as many people as he could for that money and has continuously handed that money down and just continues to invest it and invest... So you have... Right. The idle rich giving birth to the idle rich who are giving birth to the idle rich. And when we just talk about, hey, let's increase, if you make uh, $200 million this year, maybe you only need $100 million. That's still enough for you to buy seven fucking mansions, so what's the problem? Well, that's un-American. <laughs> you know what? We've had that insane, we've, we've, inta- we've, until Reagan, we did that sort of shit, but then the Republican Party has fucking branded that as communism. Right, exactly. And, we would and, rather yeah. have Paris Hilton be able to buy, instead of six mansions in one year, ten mansions uh, a year, instead of giving that money to families who... I'm a single mother who uh, has 2.5 uh, jobs, and I went bankrupt because my kid had cancer, and my health insurance sucks, and taking to, the, uh, to her, uh, her appointments, I got fired from two of those jobs. But instead of helping me pay that, I'd rather have Paris Hilton be able to have seven birthday parties in one day. Fuck you. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because, because the, uh, the biggest <laughs> – uh, oddly enough, uh, uh, cut over to the Tales from the Backseat section of the podcast. Uh, I had this long conversation with a guy I was driving around uh, about how uh, it, the biggest enemy of the American public is being bored. Because if we were bored, we might actually try and learn something. You know, that's why you have, you know, like all with the whole death of Kobe Bryant. And yeah, I know, whatever. Too soon. Fuck off. Don't care. You know, we're mourning the loss of a fucking basketball player. Who the fuck cares? He's an entertainer. He got paid millions upon millions of fucking dollars for being able to catch a ball, throw it in a hoop better than anyone else. Whereas, you know, you've got people like fucking, uh, what's his name? Ken Jeong. Guy was a doctor. He became a fucking comedian because it paid more. Yep. You know, what is – you got you look at it and when you actually pause for a second and you think about it, you realize there has to be something fundamentally wrong with our system and set of values in this country where we find people that are willing to give up a career in fucking medicine – in order to become entertainers because it pays better. The Depending on the study you look at, the second to third, second or third uh, uh, leading cause of death in this country for children is gun violence. But you can't have a conversation about gun control without fucking the right talking about, you know, civil war. It's going on in Virginia right now. Um, yep. 
you can't talk about healthcare without it being called social. I love the far what the Republicans call the far left in this country or the radical left. What the That's it, yeah the radical yeah, yeah, left. The things they want are what every other first or world country has. Healthcare yes. and social programs and prison reform. The radical left wants what England and Europe and all the other first world countries have. Look at the radical right. What do they want? They want the Jews and the blacks out of the country. So, yes, I would rather be a socialist than, than a fascist. I mean, it is... Oh, God, But, yes. I mean, that is it. The radical left... They, they want what the rest of the first world has, and the radical right? They want racial genocide. It pretty much. I mean, it's fucking. It's insane. No, 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 I, I, I will. I will broaden that a little bit. Uh, yeah, not only the racial genocide, but they also want economic fucking genocide. Yes. You know, they they they, they are classist. Ultimately. Yes. You know, they they want that, and unfortunately, the way they succeed in getting that is by convincing everyone in the middle. That, hey, at least you're better off than that dickhead down there at the fucking bottom trying to scrape by. And if you want to stay better than them, you need to fucking follow, you know, you need to align yourselves with us. They are distracting us, like you said, with competing against each other or fighting amongst ourselves so we don't notice how many money bins they have. It, oh, God. Yeah. And this, yeah. If we central, or if we uh, we don't, if we don't, or if we get rid of uh, the the privatized healthcare, how expensive is it going to be? We pay more for healthcare than just about every other fucking country. So yep. we are we're already paying more. But fucking, you're instead of paying it to an insurance company, you just pay it through your taxes. And since everybody will be doing it, you'll be paying the exact same that you're paying right now. Except for you actually won't fucking. Go bankrupt you be, if you get cancer or your kids get cancer. So you'll actually be have paying less. Yeah, you'll be paying like if you look at the programs, you'll be paying a little bit less. But you won't ever have to worry about your copays or not being able to afford something. Or literally, ten thousand people like a year die in this country just because they're I can't afford this operation. I can't afford this medication. It's insane. You would have you'd be paying a little bit less than you are now, and not have to worry about dying because you can't afford anything. This is insane. But again, they're we're we're distracted from that shit. They're distracting us all from that shit. They're distracting us all from their billions of dollars because of the wealth inequality in this. I mean, it is insane. And, and uh, here's 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 something I find to be so I I, I want to say ironic but i know that's the wrong word um depressing it's depressing for sure but it's it's these same people that 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 talk about this oh i want my private health care socialized health care is just gonna be a fucking nightmare and be a mess it's these same fucking cocksuckers that i will hear casually mentioning in conversation that they went to mexico or fucking canada to go buy fucking drugs like legal pharmaceutical medications because they were cheaper there rather than getting them from their own providers. These same hypocritical fucktards will fucking talk about going to Mexico to get penicillin and, and fucking coming back versus buying, you know, paying the outlandish price we pay for here. But they, in the same exact breath, they'll be like, but Trump's doing a fucking great job. You know, oh, yes. It's the, the fucking cognitive dissonance fucking blows my fucking mind. Ah, I'm just gonna keep screaming. Maybe we should move on. <laughs> we should. Uh, so, 
Oh, so um, okay. Uh, trying to bring it, bring it back, uh, bring it back to the Star Trek uh, world. But first of all, I found it really funny for everyone that's seen the pictures of the uh, Mexican wall falling down because you would think, you know, much like the people, the person that wanted it the most, it should at least be able to dodge a draft. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I do. You follow George Takei at all? Oh uh, yeah, yes I do. Did you see his Twitter post from uh, today where uh, you know uh, number forty five? Uh, took, had a picture of himself playing golf saying he was getting some exercise in and Takai's like, uh, it's not working. <laughs> uh, okay, Sulu! Um, bring it back. <laughs> just real quick, you do anything comic book related this week? Uh, you know what? Oh, good thing you mentioned that. Okay, so yeah, in the what we've been doing section, I've been watching The Witcher, I've been watching uh, a little more Mandalorian here and there, and uh, there is going to be a local con in the high desert. That that's coming up next weekend. That I secured tickets for myself and my eldest two to go to. Oh, nice! So we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna go there. You know, maybe maybe get a quick little report of what a really really small grassroots con is like. <laughs> Those are my favorites. So I think you'll have fun. Yeah. So I'm I'm hoping I'm hoping to have some fun there. Uh, I, it's got a bunch of names on it. I don't recognize. Um, and uh, it's going to have some comic book related stuff there too. And my my twins are more excited about going to see the cosplay competition. Uh, so yeah, so th- there'll be that. That's that's going on next Saturday. So stay posted. Um, <clears throat> I watched The Witcher. I'm reading The Witcher. Uh, you guys should do yourself a favor and uh, watch The Witcher. Um, I'm not sure if I talked about it on the air. I've uh, I made it my goal this year. I I own just about every Assassin's Creed game, so I ended up just finishing the collection, but I've only played through a few of them, so I've been playing through the different Assassin's Creed games, uh, and I just finished Syndicate, and I can't believe there's not more love for that game. The game is quite amazing. Uh, so far, it's my favorite of the series, and I'm open to new evidence, but I think it's going to be a hard one to dethrone. Um, the twin protagonist was a really cool idea, idea, one that's more melee oriented, one that's more, uh, uh, stealth oriented and just the personality of that. Plus the personality of the game. It's like a, the end of the industrial revolution in England. Like I set a factory on fire with Charles Darwin. I (laughs) solved the mystery with, uh, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Uh, I met fucking, uh, Alexander Grand Bell just it's a fun fucking game and uh it's a great way for me to start my reintroduction into assassin's creed i've been playing origins which it's okay i don't like the combat it's not as snappy in my mind as some of the other assassin's creeds but it's it's fun uh i've been reading this to tie this back into why am i talking about it on the show uh i've been also reading the assassin creed books and uh comic books and those have been fun um haven't started picard yet my mom's a big star trek fan so we're going to we're saving up a few of them and we're going to watch it together i've been saving up of two like i think this uh, there's two or three picard comics out so i was going to read those here soon and give a report on it i uh i think that's it uh yes picard i am so nervous that i'm not going to like it and i'm also nervous that they're going to destroy the extended universe for it but uh we'll wait and see I'm not going to borrow trouble. Um, borrowing trouble. How about I'm about to get myself into trouble. Uh-oh. You guys, you're out there. You with, like, the earbuds who is listening to this right now, I am talking to you. <laughs> you sitting bored in traffic. You who's sitting at your desk pretending to work right now, 
I'm talking to you. We've had two iTunes reviews, like, written iTunes reviews, for, like, two fucking years. And I was willing to let that shit go for the eight months that we didn't put out an episode, but this shit has been, like, fucking clockwork, and we are bringing you new content. So you, who's got an iTunes account, I want you... On your lunch break, or just take a minute, it takes a minute on your smartphone, leave us a review. Yeah, I've tried not to beg for this shit before, because uh, I, I, I try to have some, some dignity, but come on. I, I'm just asking you to take five minutes from your day. You listen to us for an hour and a half a week, so I know you have the fucking free time. Just, I'm not even asking for a five-star review. Just review us and tell us what you fucking think. If you don't like it, or if you have uh, suggestions for how we can improve, put that on there. And I will read your review on the air. Comicbookdungeonpodcast at gmail.com. Email us, and uh, we'll uh, talk to you. You know what? We had an email, and you know what? I haven't... I need to get moving a little bit more on it, but somebody wanted us to review his comic on the show. I need to email that to Cruz, but we were in negotiations for him to have his book on the show. And how did he make that happen? Because he fucking emailed us. <laughs> See, you, I've got the spit in the vinegar because we were talking about the election shit. <laughs> so yeah, just take the time. You can even just go to our uh, Podient site and uh, write a comment on the episode. It's real easy, and I'll read that shit on the air. You have a voice. Use it. Excellent. On that note. (laughs) Best line ever uttered by Patrick Stewart. It was a good one. (laughs) Oh, shit. Oh man, great episode! <laughs> oh, we are we are better fucking... than the inner light. Anyway, uh, oh fuck you! <laughs> <laughs> oh, so uh, yeah, so now now that we're back on topic, uh, uh, the previous half hour was brought to you by uh, the ninety eight percent. This is by the Anti-Alex Jones Podcast. Um. Talking about the 1%, I'm eager to review this comic because, again, this Marvel comic could be worth 2500 to you, and that's a $1980. Ooh, so. yeah, inflation's a bitch because it's outpaced the freaking minimum wage. But anyways. So this is uh, Marvel Comics, Star Trek, issue 6 from September of 1980. Ooh, whopping 50 cents for this one. Yeah, I'm, a, I'm a pretty big fan of this cover. I dig the cover. I really like this alien design. And we talked about this briefly with Super Steve last uh, episode. The clothing still kind of reminds me of uh, the Shire, which would make sense because it's Dave Cochran. And do you know who this alien looks like? Uh, Jamie from Mythbusters. <laughs> A little bit because of the walrus <laughs> mustache. But um, if you've ever read any um, X-Men comic, and you're going to say you're completely wrong, Mark. But no, you're wrong, and you have a bad attitude. Um, Lockheed the Dragon, you know, Kitty Pride's pet. If you've ever seen what his people look like, they all come in different shapes and sizes. But the tail, the coloring, and just the, kind of the look of him kind of reminded me of Lockheed. And the four digits. Yes, which is a plot point later. And yes, it is. I think that was a pretty stellar Enterprise that we have on the cover as well. That that was a, a a really lovely Enterprise. My only my only quibble with that is the deflector array looks like it's it's wrong. That's my only quibble with with that. The deflector dish looks like 
it's it looks like it's facing directly towards the the person viewing the page when it should be looking it should be aimed more towards the right as you're looking at the page that that's my one thing it's it's the one glaring thing that caught my eye but other than that i i love the enterprise on the cover yeah i think they did a good job and on this cover we have an alien and then we see the same alien uh next to uh, just uh to the right with a dagger in his back and it's ambassador yes. I'm going to say Frell was alive when he beamed up from the planet, and he was dead when he reached the Enterprise. Impossible! Uh, exactly. Man, talk about things getting stabbed in the back already. i got to say, I feel really bad as we start out this issue, because do you see who the transporter operator is? Yes. Yeah, uh, Rand, right? <laughs> yes, that's Rand. And, and I, just, I just finally rewatched that today. So uh, the Star Trek the motion picture and yeah <laughs> we've seen <laughs> like three beam ups with her in the motion picture uh when uh the science officer is murdered horrifically on the platform and then uh, yes. the first issue she uh uh she uh transported the prisoner up and when he got to the ship he was mysteriously free of his shackles and in this episode this issue we start out and the first thing that we see is there's a transporter emergency right okay I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna just jump the shark real quick. Uh, after after my uh, uh, belated viewing of Star Trek: The Motion Picture, uh, I, I'm I'm just gonna add one point. Kirk was a complete and utter fucking douchebag in the beginning of that movie. Okay, moving on. <laughs> There's a a great article from Star Trek magazine where they talked about like what is it about the Rake of Admiral that makes people go crazy, and they bring up that like. Like the first thirty minutes of uh, Star Trek: The Motion Picture, Kirk is a little bit of a douchebag, and it's I don't you know, it's he like you said he mellows out a little bit, but it's just like something that when you hit that rank, you just kind of lose your mind a little bit. Yeah, and speaking of him starting off as a douchebag, he starts off kind of douchey in this issue. Oh, he's he's definitely he's mm. he's a bit of a jerk, but uh, he's short, combative, uh, moody as fuck. Constantly criticizing the crew. I mean, I every one of the crew. Ma- okay, well let's let's continue on so we can see how the crew is reacting to our esteemed captain. I think it's mostly because of Star Trek. But if you go to TVTropes.com, like the crazy admiral, that's one of like the reoccurring tropes they talk about, and it's it's definitely one that Star Trek has gotten a bunch of mileage out of. But yeah, I digress. Um. So yeah, we we start out uh, the Enterprise. It's uh, in orbit around. I'm going to say Yandin 6, and this planet uh, is about to join the Federation. They're just bringing the trans, uh, the ambassador on board so he can finalize the process when there's now an issue with the transport. Right, and, and you know, the captain's log, he's talking about there will be no slip-ups. And first, right out of the fucking gate, boom, we've got an issue with the fucking transporter, and who's at the freaking controls? Rand is, damn it. And she's, but she's got Scotty there, and like they said, the the unit had just checked out within like the last hour, so this is not right. making a lot of sense. Right. So yeah, they're 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 doing their best to to correct this, and uh, you know, Kirk is of course like, do whatever you have to do, Mister Scott. I want no slip ups this time. And he's being like a real dick because he's like, because his first uh, what he first mentions is we can't lose him, Scotty. After years of negotiation. Uh, Yandid 6 was finally agreed to join the Federation. If we lose, if the signal is lost, the ambassador will die. And the diplomatic ties we've uh, worked so hard to establish will be broken. Seems like yeah, 
the the diplomatic angle, one is most important. Two, the fact he's going to die. I think his priorities are a little out of whack. Right. Well, also, I mean, I I, I don't know how diplomacy is conducted in the far future here. Uh, but but <laughs> you know, you would think it, it would be yeah, it, it, the process would be spread out to more than just the interpersonal relationship formed with one entity or, or being, shall we say. So like if one person would die, you would think that there's others in that chain of command that have been privy to privy to all the work that has been done that can carry on. But no, this is this is solely based that this one person cannot cannot survive this horrific incident. All the years and years of work have gone to shit. Yeah, I uh, I have some issues with uh, with this, and we'll we'll get to those in a few pages. Right. Um, McCoy shows up, and as soon as he comes to the door, Kirk is just biting his head off. About time, Doctor. I urge you to report immediately. Yeah, yeah. I don't think Bones is going to take a transporter right up to the freaking transport room. Just, just saying. I mean, it couldn't have been that long. The dude hasn't... I mean, it seems like this, this transporter uh, is taking a little bit longer than normal, but it's not like it's been 10 minutes, so... <laughs> right, yeah. He hadn't even materialized yet. Yes! So, and then when, <laughs> then when he does materialize, <laughs> he, uh, he, he takes a shambling step forward and falls over dead. You know, cue the dun-dun-dun! He's got a knife in his back. Yeah, how'd that get there? So, yeah, well, the first thing the Enterprise does is they they call down to the palace that he transported from, and they want to know who uh, who uh, attacked the ambassador because he's here, dead. And they're confused. They're like, nobody attacked him. He just transported out of here normally. What are you talking about? Which is impossible because during the, uh, um, the transport process, your molecules are transformed transformed into energy, broken up, and sent through an energy beam to space. You can't do anything. You can maybe in the future hug a worm that's also stuck in the transporter beam if you're Reginald Berkeley, but I mean, you can't, nobody can attack you. There's just, you cease to exist until you're turned back into, from energy, back back into your molecules and they're reassembled. So it's impossible for uh, you to be attacked while in that process. Uh, but lo and behold, we have an ambassador with a knife in his back, so uh, the game is afoot, as uh, was once said way back when. Uh, and, uh, yeah, so our, our beloved captain here uh, delegates uh, the investigation to uh, Spock and uh, McCoy. Big surprise there. Uh, yeah, I know. <laughs> so uh, McCoy, of course, being the doctor, who's actually semi-prepared this time is in charge of the autopsy and McCoy wait hold up what the fuck am I saying McCoy's doing the autopsy Spock's doing the investigative portion uh so yeah he's he's digging through the tapes viewing everything and uh gathering his evidence while uh Kirk is talking to the leaders of uh planet Yavin whatever six Yanid did we agree on Yanid yeah we'll go with that yeah, Yanid six. Yeah, yeah. Where uh, we get some 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 tr- some some knowledge bombs dropped on us by the uh, by the rulers. Yes. <clears throat> um, gone. I was gonna say, uh, McCoy during his investigation, he's confused because the this person who has been dead who uh, fifteen minutes, the ambassador who beamed aboard, has been dead fifteen minutes. So it would be impossible for him to have just beamed up you know, five minutes ago from the planet. 
And that's when my mind went to time travel shenanigans. I mean, it's there's definitely a discrepancy there. And then Spock, when he's trying to pull up computer, they say computer tapes, computer records of the ambassador's beam up, they've been uh, erased by some sort of power surge, some energy surge in the system. Mm, so he, he, they send up the uh, logs of the transporter from the planet so they can see him transporting up from there. And, right. And Spock already has an idea that we don't know what it is forming. Right. So, yeah. So then, then Kirk talks to the rulers. The rulers are pretty pissed. Yes. Uh, well, I mean, the ambassador is the uncle to the current uh, prince and uh, princess of the planet. Right. But before they even get to that point, uh, and see, okay, so like immediately my mind is already super suspicious. They're demanding the bodies returned at once, and that to me suggests some sort of foul play. Like they know what's going on, and they want to cover up the evidence. Agreed. I really should stop watching the news because it's made me paranoid. I, the uh, navigator um, is a Saurian. But who, uh, the drawing on here, if you look in Star Trek The Motion Picture, you can see there's a couple Saurians there. But he looks so much like a cartoon dinosaur. I kept laughing because he has like these <laughs> big lies. And he just yeah. looks like a over-anxious frog whenever we see him. So every scene that he's in, I kind of laughed. But anyway. Yeah, he looks like an off-color Simpson. A little bit. <laughs> he looks like a Ninja Turtle without the shell. Oh, God. Oh, God. <laughs> so he lost his shell before his duty shift and he's real anxious about it yeah yeah oh man so yeah um they're they're all all pissed off uh somehow the the fact that uh when this ambassador ralph or uh was uh was in line for the throne his name was alf and apparently when you lose your succession you've got to rearrange the letters in your name so I don't know. Maybe they had Scrabble, put the letters in a bag, and just tossed them on the table. Went from Ralph to Alf, or Alf to Ralph, uh, and it seems to trigger uh, Kirk a little bit, which Uhura notices. And uh, yeah, so then he jumps down her throat a little bit. I mean, he basically tells her because she's like, "Wow!" As soon as uh, like you seem shocked when they mentioned that his name was actually Alf. Is there something wrong? Can I help? You shut the hell up and you do your job, Uhura. <laughs> it's basically <laughs> what he much. yells at her. Pretty much, so yeah. We, we cut from we we cut from Kirk verbally abusing his communications officer uh, to a bar, which great and call back to the motion picture. Uh, what's her name there? Uh, Chief DeFalco. DeFalco, yeah, she's gonna... the one that she replaced Aaliyah when she got when Aaliyah got freaking uh, disintegrated by Viger. Do you know who played Lieutenant or uh, Chief DeFalco? Uh, she looked familiar, but uh, brain farting here. That's William Shatner's first wife. Really? Yes. And also Damn. some more Captain Kirk nepotism. For any reason, if you ever want to watch Star Trek V again, when they go to the bridge after uh, uh, Kirk, McCoy, and Spock after their mountain climbing scene, when he walks on the bridge and a female yeoman gives him his uniform top, that's his daughter. That's one of his daughters. Huh. Fun facts. Gotta love them. So our crewmates are busy uh, drinking in the bar. Uh, apparently word of this assassination has gone round. There's rebels, you know, fermenting rebellion as they do. There's, and there's 
I just wanted to, being loyal. Oh yeah, sorry. I just wanted to uh, point out that there's rebels on this planet. There seemed to be several years ago. There was a civil. Uh, so I don't want to necessarily a civil war, but there was definitely fighting between factions, and we'll get to that in a second. But the rebels want to join the Kleon Empire, while the loyalists want to join the Federation. Ah yes, we got to add in the galactic uh, politics so that we have a little more flavor context. Oh, so yeah. That's why this alliance is so important. So, like you said, we've got DeFalco, we've got Sulu, and we've got Chekhov. Yep. And, 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 and you know, I, I got to say the costuming is great. These guys look very, like, future piratey. They very much do. And uh, they look a little bit like, again, because um, this is Dave Cochran, uh, they look a little bit like Cosair, uh, you know, Cyclops' dad and the Starjammers, who are, like, intergalactic, like, pirates. The right. Marvel, yeah, so very reminiscent of that. So, of course, what's going to happen when you have uh, rebellious rebels and uh, loyal loyalists with uh, supposedly aliens that uh, planned the assassination of their beloved ambassador? Barroom Brawl! Yeah, so, yeah, these uh, rebels attack the uh, crew, loyalists step in, so you have uh, loyalists fighting uh, rebels, and it just it gets a little bit out of control. Uh, Sulu is fencing. Chekhov is out of his league fencing. Oh, okay. I, time out. Time, time the fuck out right here. Time out. Where did the sword come from? I have no idea. It just starts out as a barroom brawl, and then out of nowhere, like somebody was handing him out, everybody has like a fencing sword. <laughs> Which these guys have nightcrawler tails, so it makes sense that they would have nightcrawler sword as well. Right, yeah. I mean, it definitely is very reminiscent of, of, of a cutlass you would see on board of a, a freaking Caribbean pirate ship, okay? That is quite the kick that we see DeFalco doing in the background, and she, I guess oh, it's because yeah. she's the only one who didn't get a sword. That's because previously she was a member of the Rockettes. Um, the prince and princess had warned the Enterprise that it wouldn't be safe for uh, the crew on the planet, so we now see that they're signaling all crew on shore leave to beam out so in the middle of this brawl where all these people came in and were defending them they just cut out in the middle of it which i thought was a bit of a bullshit move yeah i I mean sometimes you've got to uh you've got to dip out so that that's what they did uh so (laughs) so yeah they get the emergency beam out and then uh, ernest bornine starts talking to the crew (laughs) of the enterprise (laughs) i'd go with that or maybe lauren green I actually believe, I think this is the same Admiral we saw at back in ish, episode, uh, or episode issue four, who gave yes. them the prisoner, yeah, escort. Yeah, 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 well, I, yeah, I, I definitely, he reminded me of someone, I had to look it up, and yeah, that to me looks like Ernest Bornine, okay, that's the dude with, from Airwolf, okay? <laughs> Mikhail's Navy, I most know him as Airwolf, yep, and, uh, he lets Kirk know that the Federation has faith in his judgment, that they will that he proceed forward, uh, uh, however he best sees fit, um, and if possible, maintain friendly relation with the planet's rulers. And Kirk snaps at him. I assure you, Admiral, I have not forgotten my mission. Kirk out. And then instead of being mad, Lauren Green, Ernest Borgnine here says, "One moment, Captain. Are you all right? You seem a little edgy, short-tempered." And uh, meanwhile, the Ninja Turtle looks really anxious in the foreground. <laughs> Yeah, Leonardo's a bit concerned. Hey, but, why is mommy and daddy fighting? <laughs> um, 
McCoy steps onto the bridge and says, you know, the Kirk, the Admiral might believe you're okay, but we don't. So why don't you spill what's going on? So Kirk's like, you know what? You, we all have a stake in this. You the flashback. <laughs> let, me, let me tell let me, you. Know, when Ahura asked the same question, I told her to shut her mouth. But you know what? I'll tell you. I can't stay mad at you, McCoy. Of course. Of course. You, can never st- you know what? That's his hetero life mate, okay? He can't stay mad at him for long. Um, so we get a flashback, and this was established in the original series that um, Kirk, his first deep space mission, was on the Republic. This is, a, and we see a sh- the the Republic in this flashback, and it's a real interesting design for a uh, Federation starship. And do you know what it actually looks a little bit like? Oh God, I'm brain farting. Oh, uh, it, it's not you know exact, but it's more similar than dissimilar. Than it is to the Crossfield uh, class, the uh, USS Discovery, which is a poorly designed starship. Um, <laughs> I mean, this isn't official canon, but they've—it's pretty much agreed upon. I don't think it was ever specifically. I, I, I would bet money it was. I know it was not actually said on screen, but uh, it was heavily implied that the Republic was a Constitution class. But anyway, like anyway. the Enterprise. But yeah, so this is uh, Kirk's, it was his first uh, mission as an ensign, just out of the academy, and they uh, they went to Yondid 6, and this is where I have a problem. Okay. Their mission on Yondid 6 uh, is to uh, basically take sides in a civil war between the... Uh, uh, Prime Directive? Yeah, and it's... The Prime Directive is a little bit iffy in the original series. It was not always universally applied. But we had two episodes where they mentioned specifically the Federation can't take sides in a civil war. Specifically, Patterns of Force, which was the Nazi episode, and the Omega Glory, where there's the, like, Yangs versus the Yangs. So, I mean, it had been specifically stated the Federation cannot take sides in a planetary conflict like that. Plus... Why would you make it your mission to bring them into the Federation when there's an ongoing... I mean, you look at this, this scene that they beam down to. It is a fucking war zone. There's like a hover... T- like hover tanks. And, or I guess they have wheels. They're like gyro tanks. I mean, there's like active fighting on the ground. This is definitely not a planet that's... You don't have to have a unified government, but it's strongly encouraged. But you can't be in active like civil war and join the Federation. Right, yeah. So I mean, he's he, Kirk gets dispatched with a specific mission, like the rebels kidnap the prince, and he's supposed to rescue the prince, and, and he manages to to get to the prince, and ra- you know, he fires a warning shot at the rebels, which ricochets off of a mirrored surface. Which I mean, hmm, focused energy weapons and mirrored surfaces don't probably go well together. I am- I'm going to have to disagree with you there. I mean, that's like a trope I've always seen in, like, cartoons where somebody will shoot, you know, a a laser and it hits, like, a cheap mirror and bounces back and kills the person. If I had a super powerful laser and I shot my bathroom mirror, it would just melt the mirror. Really? I mean, if any scientists out there, like, disagree with me, but, I mean, if I have a several, you know, thousand kilowatt laser, I, I, I mean, it's going to melt... I mean, it, it's going to be so powerful and hot. I, I think it would just melt right through the mirror. Well, I, I, I could be wrong on that, but I mean, you could, you could be right. You, you could, you could be one hundred percent right. I could see where the heat would cause something to freaking warp and and, and uh, negate the reflective properties. So yeah, 
But in this case, in this case, no, it reflects the Bray, the beam, and the beam strikes the prince in the back and puts him in a coma. Uh, and, and who, okay, who go was ahead. This, who was this prince, by the way? Uh, it was uh, Prince oh – God, was his name Ralph or Alf? I'm uh, a, Shit. I'll go with Alf. Yeah. Prince Alf. Arl. Oh, Arlf. There's an R in there. It's really hard to pronounce. My mouth does not want to work that way right now. So I, I'm on physics exchange right now. and <laughs> So if you have a powerful light or a powerful laser, the light that does not get reflected gets either absorbed mostly – or transmitted, usually only for very thin film mirrors. The portion that gets absorbed is transmitted into heat, which is then transferred into the mirror material. So a powerful laser would, yeah, just melt the shit out of a uh, out of a mirror. I mean, this is a stun beam, so I mean, it's not going to be super, I'd say, powerful. But I just, I don't know. It seems unlikely, but I, I'm not a. a, a We'll have to wait a couple hundred years, and then we'll we'll have a knowledge base on yes. phasers too. But um. It just seems highly unlikely that a uh, uh, energy, phased energy that is that coherent, you know, that tightly, that powerful and that tight of a beam would be able to, like a semi-reflective surface would be able to bounce it off. But right, I mean, that, that right. shit used to like drive me crazy as a kid in G.I. Joe. That, I mean, this is a laser that in a previous scene, a guy was able to use to melt through like two inches of steel. But like, I have my shaving mirror and it just bounces it back. It's not really how, you know, physics would work. But I offered a criticism, so I will offer a compliment. I really like Ensign Kirk's uniform here. If you remember the uh, uniform from the second pilot where no man has gone before, the style is almost the same. The colors Mm -hmm. are a bit different. But again, I mean, this was back in the past, so it would make sense that we had not seen these these uniforms yet, but that they made it very reminiscent of those obsolete uniforms, I thought was a really nice attention to detail. Yeah, yeah, they definitely did nail the the costuming on that, so... Oh, holy shit, do you know what we didn't do? What didn't we do? We didn't do the uh, creative team. Oh, fuck. Uh, Mike Barr, Ship's Log Compiler, so uh, writer, Dave Cochran and Klaus uh, Jansen, Visual Engineering Techs First Class, so the art team. I like this. Rick Parker, recorder, uh, gaff, Hugh technician, Lou, uh, Luis Jones, captain, Jim Shooter, fleet admirals. So they are our uh, uh, editors. Then we have Marion Stengard, historian, first class. So I think that that was the person who was just trying to make sure that this was somewhat coherent in the Star Trek universe. Right. <clears throat> so maybe thank them for how good those uniforms look. Anyway. There you go. So, uh, yeah, uh, so uh, Prince Arlf is uh, in a coma, and since he's in a coma, he can't uh, take his uh, ascension to the throne. So he gets passed over, and his name gets thrown into a Scrabble bag and becomes Prince Rolf or whatever, you know, Ambassador Rolf later on. So why would – I assume that Kirk's warning shot was a stun blast, or is a a phaser set to stun if he's following, you know, every protocol we've seen so far – I don't see why a diffused stun beam would put this guy into a multiple-year coma. Uh, maybe uh, it, 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 the, the reflective surface reoriented the beam in such a way that it, it caused some, uh, some sort of a scrambling to his nervous system and their biology was not conducive to a rapid recovery. And it took him years to uh, wake up and heal from this coma. And when he did... 
he woke up really pissed and blamed Kirk for everything. I'm going to cite Occam's Razor on this. The simplest <laughs> explanation is usually the most correct. And I'm just going to say it's because uh, Prince Alf is just an incredible wuss. <laughs> uh, well, you know what? I, I, I cannot believe a man or a, a being with that kind of a mustache can be a wuss. <laughs> uh, I mean, that mustache screams the definition of of bare brazen, uh, whatever their equivalent of testosterone laden is, and I, I definitely want to say not a wuss. Yeah, he he looks like a bad mofo, but he's also pretty pissed off, and he blames Kirk for everything that ever went wrong with his life, and he, that seems to be a little far fetched. He swore revenge when he woke up. When his brother took the throne, he vowed that the while he was alive, the Federation w- or the uh the planet would never join the federation right and uh yeah definitely if there was going to be a mustache twirling villain of the piece he's got the mustache so yeah so and that's what kirk thinks that well he thinks that somebody is that murdered thrall is using this as a way to uh frame kirk as revenge but he just doesn't know who it could be yeah kirk kirk fuck you kirk why why do you feel like you got to be the center of attention in everything it's not a bad hypothesis. I know. I know. So, yeah, uh, Mr. Spock uh, is is correlating some of Dr. McCoy's information about the, uh, the, the weird readings and time discrepancy with how long the body was, the ambassador was dead with, you know, how long it should have taken him to transport. And he's, he, he's suggesting that maybe uh, the victim was a surgically altered duplicate. Which is a good theory. Right, you know, if this this part reminds me of like if you ever watched Clue the movie, yeah, like when they start spinning out all of their hypotheses. Except Spock only has to do it once because he's fucking Spock. Yeah, I mean, it's <clears throat> I'm pretty impressed with his logic here. He looks at uh, the body they have versus the original transporter log, and he sees that the ambassador when he left the planet was wearing a ring that had huge sentimental value to him. But then when he arrived aboard the Enterprise, he was missing that ring. So he believe, So his hypothesis is that yeah, he used a duplicate, murdered him, and then sent the uh, duplicate onto the Enterprise. And then he it, used this as, a, a way, uh, uh, as an opportunity to uh, uh, lay low to, to uh, go on the lamb. Right. And, and yeah, and you know what? No one is more surprised by this conclusion than Leonardo. Do you remember the cartoon Denver the Last Dinosaur? Vaguely. He reminds me a little bit of Denver. Because <laughs> if you remember Denver the Last Dinosaur, he was your friend and a whole lot more. Oh, uh, Catchy's 80s show intro songs. Um, we should do a podcast about that. There's <laughs> only like eight episodes. You should do yourself a favor, guys. YouTube the uh, theme song so you can see a dinosaur playing the keyboard in a rock, 80s rock band. It's quite fun. Yeah, I mean, if you can YouTube a cat playing a keyboard, you could definitely YouTube Denver doing it. <laughs> but yeah, so Spock thinks that um, the ambassadors had probably had plastic. There's probably now getting plastic surgery done, and that he did this to frame Captain Kirk for uh, his murder as revenge. Yep. So they're like, uh, so Kirk's like, well, that's great. There's only gonna it's it's gonna take us weeks to interview every plastic surgeon on the planet. We're Sulu, and I think we forgot to mention this. But right before he beamed off the planet, some of the rebels who were fighting them were injured and said, oh, we'll go to Dr. Lorak. So because one person that he talked to on the planet mentioned the, doc, the Dr. Lorak, 
That's clearly who probably did this plastic surgery. Absolutely. And I tell you what, I mean, Spock's uh, hypothesis here uh, may, I feel it's a little shaky because I don't know how you can hold a grudge for that long when you've only got four fingers. (laughs) Well, it doesn't. He, he takes for granted that the person is having plastic surgery done. You know, he could just be taking a ship off-world to anywhere in the galaxy that doesn't give a shit about this planet. You know, you wouldn't need to change your looks to disappear in a, you know, a, a large, you know, in a galaxy, which is a, you know, thousands of planets. But it's not a bad hypothesis. And no. Zulu is right that they, they, that, uh, they... Print or the ambassador had re- uh, rebel tendencies or rebel uh, leanings, so they know that there's this doctor is affiliated with the rebels. It's not a bad place to start. It is a huge coincidence, but it is it's their only lead. So I will I will give them that. Right. So our, our of course uh, leading from the front, uh, Kirk takes uh, himself, McCoy, and uh, Spock. Uh, proceeds to uh, masquerade as, I forget whatever species these guys are, and they end up teleporting down to the planet looking like a really bad 80s rock band with multicolored hair. Yeah, I don't think that they ever, we, we get a name of the planet, but we they, the species never identifies itself. So yeah, you, don't, you have nothing to apologize for. Yes, but the, you know they have a dead giveaway, and it's their hands, because they have five digits, whereas the native species only has four. Man, I gotta say, the artwork on this is fucking amazing. Like, just to see the the, the three main characters now, like, because the aliens have purple skin and, like you said, outrageous uh, facial hair. They kind of look like Ringo Starr towards the tail end of the Beatles. <laughs> but purple. So, but the fact that you can, Dave Cochran very clearly did a really good job drawing Kirk, Spock, and McCoy. Then they were just colored in purple, and he put in, like, uh, crazy facial hair. They did a phenomenal yeah. job. Every, every panel that they're in disguise, it floored me how well, like, that's Spock in disguise. That's McCoy yeah. in disguise. They did, he did a great job on the faces and the likeness. He, he did. He did do a great job. Although he had some great reference material for McCoy because um, uh, I believe uh, if you if, – Again, having watched the motion picture just this morning, uh, when McCoy initially boards the Enterprise, he is sprouting a full fucking, uh, oh, God, what's the guy's name from Parks and Recreation? Oh, God, the really serious one. Uh, Whatever. Oh, you've never? Jeez. Oh, he's full. He's rocking a full lumber. He's he's rocking a full lumberjack uh, uh, beard and mustache when he first beams on. So at least he's got that reference for the facial hair. I love the giant hippie medallion he has on, too. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I remember that. That was great. <laughs> so 70s, yeah, it was so 70s, man. It was such a throwback. It was great. Oh. He, he looked like he looked like some guy that had been on like a freaking ten year old ten year long acid trip and just got plucked yes. out of the woods, <laughs> which is probably what he was doing. Um, oh, I love I love the scene when they beam down. Um, so their whole his ma- Kirk's master plan is they go to the doctor's at clin- like the clinic. Uh, McCoy fakes being sick. The guard at the door says this is a private clinic. Take him someplace else. So Spock. Vulcan nerve pinches him. And I like McCoy points out, yeah, someday you're going to meet a race that doesn't have a nervous system. Uh, and what are you going to do then? Which I, I love Spock's uh, response. It's very, the, the voice here, I mean, it, it's just, you can picture Spock saying this episode. 
you know, I'll deal yeah. with that difficulty, uh, Doctor, when it arises for the present. I suggest, you know, we move on with our mission. Yep. And uh, as they, they press on forward, uh, they they find the uh, very shapely and lovely Dr. Lorax. She, she is quite attractively drawn. Uh, yeah. Yeah, definitely super attractively drawn. Don't worry about it. She gets murdered within the next two panels, and she's very attractively laying on the floor wait, dead. Wait, she's a, yeah. She immediately she identifies herself, and they say they want to talk to Ambassador Frawl. Fools! I have nothing to say to you, but perhaps you will have something to say to the police. And yeah, she gets shot in the back. But just it's important because it comes up later that we don't see who shoots the phaser beam. But that person is at least like sixty feet away. A crack shot. A crack shot. Yeah, McCoy uh, gets his uh, his famous, you know, she's dead, Jim. Yes, catchphrase has been fulfilled. So he continues to poke at her dead body. While uh, I don't see why he needs to do an autopsy or why he's like, I'll just determine the cause of death. We fucking saw what killed her. But yeah, anyway, Sp- they split up. Kirk and Spock follow the uh, where the uh, phaser beam came from, and we see three individuals back there. So they know one of them is Frell, but who? And then when uh, McCoy turns around to tell Spot or to Kirk the cause of death was a point blank phaser blast, then he sees <laughs> that it's not Kirk. What the fuck do you mean? It was a point blank phaser blast. That person was a sniper. I mean, yeah, that, that definitely wasn't point blank. Uh, that was a pretty pretty great long distance shot. But yeah, I mean, well, I don't know. McCoy looks in a looks like he's in a in a pretty suspect position over the body here. I don't know what shenanigans looks, are going on here. It, it looks bad because when he turns around, uh, it's the prince and princess with a bunch of royal guards, and he is not fooled. Like McCoy was very dubious of their costumes, and he was right because they are not fooled for a second. He knows that uh, this is their landing party from the Enterprise. Yep, and they immediately get detained. The jig is up. So, one, when they take the wig off of McCoy, and so you just see a normal-looking McCoy purple. He looks like a like a Violet Beauregard, sort of, from... Uh, like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because, I mean, he's just him with purple skin. So, yeah. the next panel is supposed to only be several minutes in the future, but it has Spock, Kirk, and McCoy... In their duty uniforms with the purple makeup, like, rubbed off? Did they just wear their duty uniforms underneath their disguises? Absolutely. That's you real know. weird. Yeah, so, yeah, the jig's up. They're exposed in more ways than one. And uh, now it's time for the whodunit portion of the issue. Yeah, this is awesome right here. <clears throat> I, I think this might be my favorite part of the issue, where... They accuse uh, Spock, or they, Spock, they accuse McCoy, or Kirk, um, you know, of being behind the murders, and that a second murder here, and Kirk's like, that's not what this was, because your uncle's not dead, and he was never really for this, bro- uh, the treaty that he was trying to broker, he was a rebel. There was no proof of that. Well, of course there isn't. He'd be able to use his influence to, uh, to erase the data. But they said, if you don't believe, that, you know, this is a great theory, but you have no proof. He's like, proof one of these guys is your uncle right here and we can prove it and i originally had a problem with this but then we get it explained later and it's so cool so spock says i have all the proof i need i made a telepathic scan of all the suspects and i know i read their minds so i know one of them is the uh is your uncle and that this was a whole uh scheme where he'd been ciphering money uh 
from the uh, believe it was from the 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 rebels and from the uh, the government, and he was going to use that to uh, retire. Now that he had one framed Kirk, and two he could escape uh, unseen with all this money. So he had uh, he had a surgical du- or a duplicate made of him surgically, and then he stabbed him, and then. Uh, so his a transporter beam was intercepted by a ship beneath the Enterprise, and then the the double was beamed to the Enterprise, which kind of reminded me of Star Trek VI, where they had the cl- uh, the cloaked bird of prey underneath the Enterprise fire on the Klingon ship. So that was cool. Yes. Some, I don't know why the Enterprise didn't notice that that there was that ship uh, below them, but I mean they could have had stealth technology. I mean, yeah, that, that's not a plot hole or anything, but it was weird they didn't address it. But yeah, it very much reminded me of Star Trek Six. Yeah, yeah, and 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 then he, uh, oh shoot, where where are we? Yeah, it says he, uh, yeah, twenty three. Yeah, he used. Uh, he'd been ciphering money from the rebels for years, but not for their cause. He'd been uh, embezzling it, and this was how he was going to escape with it, all while getting his right. revenge on Kirk. And yeah, but ultimately he has failed because Super Sleuth, Mister Spock, has solved the case. And that's when uh, Frawl or Alf or whatever he's going to go by now that he's got a new face and did a little face off, uh, grabs a phaser and proceeds to take the queen hostage. And uh, princess. Yeah, the princess. And uh, yeah. So, of course, what happens next? Who saves the day? McCoy. Is it a Vulcan Nev? Is it a Nerf bitch? Is it a Kirk dropkick? No. (laughs) <laughs> it's McCoy doing what he does best, shooting people who didn't want it with drugs. I gotta <laughs> say, the, the ambassador is such a dumbass. If I were me, I would have continued to deny. I'm like, you just have this Vulcan's word for it? You know, I'm Gleeb Glob. I don't even know who this ambassador is. But instead, as soon as a, part of his scheme is uncovered, he's like, yeah, I did it. Fuck you. And he, like, steals a phaser and just, get, like, admits to the entire plot. I would have den- I would have Nixon that and denied, denied, denied. Oh yeah, well I mean you know most freaking archety- archetypical villains you know start breaking out into the monologue. So you know, why not? Uh, yeah, but he gets he gets rope doped pretty fucking good. Gets a whole freaking circulatory system full of some really good drugs, and he's down for the count. He's out. So uh, the prince apologizes, and he's uh. Uh, it, it, basically, the planet is now willing to join the Federation. Yep. Which uh, doesn't sound like they're ready because the entire population doesn't want to join the Federation. A bunch of people on the planet want to join the Klingon Empire. It really seems like they need to. Again, you don't need a unified world government, but it sounds like there's multiple factions. So, I mean, it doesn't. If, if the, yeah. the population doesn't want it, it doesn't sound like they're ready. But anyway. A little bit of housekeeping needs to go on there. But yeah, so. Yeah, cut forward. Uh, everything's everything is resolved. The crew of the Enterprise is getting ready to break orbit and depart. Kirk, McCoy, and Spock are having a little conversation. And as 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 is typical of the end of almost any Star Trek episode, there's a little gentle ribbing going on where uh, where, where where McCoy's like uh, you Spock. Uh, McCoy's talking to Spock, and he's like, "Hey, you uh, you, you said you made a telepathic scan." Uh, I didn't know you had. Uh, I know you could mind meld, but I didn't know you were a telepath of that magnitude. And Spock is uh, basically admits that he he may have been a little deceptive there. He it was a bluff. 
And he knew he'd pieced together the plot through deduction and made a hypothesis, and he used that to uh, to bluff the ambassador. But remember when he connected with v- Viger's mind over several sectors of space? Well, yeah, but Viger was an extremely powerful presence. Do you remember in a, a Taste of Armageddon when he mind melds and telepathically controls a guard's mind through a wall? Okay. <laughs> So, no, I, I, I like that they're trying to make it more c- consistent because it, th- the first couple seasons, the mind, uh, his mind powers could do whatever like, the plot needed. So I, I, I pre- I'm like, this is so stupid. We're going with like, the Vulcan shit can do anything. And then it was just a bluff, and he did it all through deduct- that, that I, I truly enjoyed that. I, I do like his little quip at the end, uh, elementary, my dear doctor, because he was making some Holmesian references earlier on. What I really love about this issue is Captain Marvel in Defends the Earth, which is our Hostess <laughs> Cupcake ad featuring Captain Marvel. And this is the original <laughs> Captain Marvel, Captain Marvel, where basically the Kree are going to invade Earth, and Earth is going to try to respond with all of its military might. When Captain Marvel is like, no, man, I have a big, even better idea. He fills a spaceship up with uh, the golden goodness of Hostess Twinkie Cakes, and he ships those to the Kree. Which, delicious cargo, light, golden sponge cake, delightful cream filling. Indeed, there's more intelligence on Earth than we imagined. Yes, because we would send basically what amounts to toxic waste that could survive this vacuum of space to a hostile alien species in attempt to poison them with diabetes. So, I I have a confession here for the audience. This is going to be a bit surprising. Um... I had found out about this a couple months ago that it was coming out this January, and it was the last time I went to the store. They had a box. I bought Twinkie cereal, and oh, one, oh. it is the lowest carb cereal that my local grocery store had sold, surprisingly. Okay, and it's fucking delicious. I, 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 uh, it, it is delicious. I cannot recommend Twinkie cereal enough. I, I, you know, well, maybe, maybe I'll have to, to go to my local grocery store and try them out because I, I frankly, uh, why I do love my sugary goodness in the morning. Uh, I only get to eat so you know, your, your typical bowl of cereal on the weekends. Uh, and I was rather heartbroken today because today is Saturday and I, I was going to go get up and get my bowl of cereal and, and watch some YouTube videos or watch something on Netflix while sitting at the kitchen table. And all of the freaking Lucky Charms and Cinnamon Toast Crunch was devoured by my little demon and spawn children. And I had to settle for eating a bowl of fucking shitty Cheerios with sugar on top. That is a poor substitute. It was. And, you know, it was – I was – I you know, I, I can't say I don't normally like – rage anything well um i take that back yeah yeah yeah. i think i raged out last time we talked on the phone a little bit and broke the dog pooper scooper (laughs) but i I don't ragey but yeah you know what this was literally like me grudge fucking a bowl of cereal this morning just shoveling fucking cheerios in my gullet with with sugar on top with this sour expression on my face looking at my daughters like you little turd baskets ate all the good cereal as your attorney, so, I advise you to pick up a box of Twinkie cereal. <laughs> Sounds good. Do you do you do you remember that from uh, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, Doctor Gonzo? Yes. That was one of the best lines I ever read in a book. Is 
as your attorney, I advise you to get the chili dog. It's a ch- it's a hot dog with chili on it. That has stuck with me for like 20, 20 years. <laughs> anyway, I, I I'm just saying this Twinkie cereal is good enough that Captain Marvel could have sent it to the Kree Empire and it would have averted uh, uh, an alien holocaust. Out outstanding. You know what? That's a hell of an endorsement, and it's good enough in my book. I'm gonna try some. I love those, like the the hostess ads, and I'm glad we're in that era. And I, I plan to continue to cover them. Uh, yeah, lovely. Uh, and might I say on on the last uh, on the last page of the of the book uh, of that actual story of the book, uh, that is a rather lovely looking enterprise. Yeah, the Dave Cochran kicked ass. The warp nacelles. I mean, just it, it's like yeah. they jump off the page. That that is definitely some some love and some detail put into the ships. And I, I'm I'm glad uh, Dave over there is the one doing the uh, uh, the, the uh, art because the the ships have looked great on this run. Um, I'm a little bummed that we didn't get a preview for uh, for next month. Uh, I am a little bummed, but I am uh, gloriously anticipating uh, what comes next because. Uh, this one, this one was a great little one shot. It was so, it was a fun read. Uh, the little, you know, Sherlock Holmes murder mystery element of it was fantastic. Uh, the character designs were interesting. I, I loved uh, Ernest Borgnine, uh, and uh, I, I, I love, like you were talking about earlier, the way the way they uh, they carried on the likenesses of, of Kirk, Spock, and McCoy in disguise and made that recognizable without, you know without too much of a struggle uh i i'm still baffled by where the fuck the sword came from uh but, but i'm glad to see the callbacks to the characters like defalco and rand freaking you know being persistent on the ship instead of just random ensigns or whatever this feels like this honestly could have been an episode of the show i agree it didn't have like the outlandish haunted house it wasn't no over the top and i i, I no I, I thought that they did a really good job like capturing the characters voices yeah, I guess I guess yeah, you're you're spot on on this. It's it, what makes this issue feel so good for me is that it does feel like it could have just been a screenplay for an episode of the TV show that, you know, just never got produced and someone picked it up and was like, "Let's make a comic book out of this." Yeah, they they did a good job. I uh I popped the issue for next uh uh, uh the next month's uh, issue and it's tomorrow or yesterday. So, and it's got a all crazy right. alien dude on the cover. So we'll have to see what this is all about. Out freaking standing. So this is what's going to happen. I think this was a funny episode. We had a little political freak out in the beginning, which you may or may not have listened to because I'll have in the show notes, you know, like where you can start just to listen to the trek. Um, <laughs> but comic book dungeon podcast at gmail.com. You can go there. Uh, email us, go to iTunes, and leave us a review. Seriously, yeah, I mean, I'm talking about... Come on. Just take a couple minutes. And I... A bunch of you guys are out there, and we know you're out there. Because yeah. I, I see the downloads. So, yeah, I mean, I just... We're lonely. Let us know you exist. No, just give us some feedback. That's how we're going to grow the audience. And you know what? If there's shit that you think we could do better, we can do better, but you guys got to give us that feedback. So, yeah, iTunes reviews... Email comicbookdungeonpodcast at gmail.com. You, comic Book Dungeon, uh, our podient page. 
You can go there. Or Comic Book Dungeon, Comic Book Dungeon Podcast on the Instagrams. Yeah. I, I still get notifications on that. Sorry, I haven't posted in a while. My bad. I'm bad. I'm horrible. But oh. hey, I'll probably put, put pictures up from the uh, con next weekend. Oh, I just thought of something, and I, 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 I got to say it now, so I'm going to be a bit of a dick. Uh, did we ever – uh, the map for Kill Raven? God damn it. <laughs> I am still struggling to get that done. Sorry. It's been a shit show over here. And Oh, no worries. I, I know I said come hell or high water, I would get it done. Uh, I am currently like cramming more knowledge of more different areas into my fucking skull, and it hurts. And my have been consumed with either – Watching online videos for this certification I'm trying to attain, or taking mental breaks and playing Fire Emblem on the Switch. <laughs> I, talking about, but Kill Raven though, I forgot. I had read the graphic novel. I don't think I talked about this on the show. I, I as soon as we finished uh, the Kill Raven run, I read the graphic novel that takes place like it's supposed to be like immediately after the series ends. And I picked up, there's a Marvel Knights, it's, I mean, it's 20 years later, but it's supposed to be in that same time frame. I haven't read it yet, but I picked up that issue. But then I have all the issues that take place, like, after that, through, like, Marvel Unlimited. So, yeah, I have, I, 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 I was going to continue that story. And because we talked about maybe covering that graphic novel at, like, a later date. But uh, it's definitely, it's in a much different sort of, uh, it feels different than the ongoing series. Um... But yeah, it's you definitely get some conclusion on some of the stuff that uh, the continuing story arc of uh, Kill Raven. So that was kind of nice to get a little bit of closure. Nice. So yeah, we'll talk about that at a future date, and I recommend it. Um. Yeah. Uh, anything else? <coughs> Any other housekeeping? Uh, that's that's it on my end. Uh, uh, I I am good to go. We're clear to beam out. Keep turning the pages. What else? Oh, I, I certainly learned a lesson. I learned, and I'm going to pass this on to the audience. Next time I go undercover on the on an away team, I'm going to count how many fingers I have versus the native population has. <laughs> so, it's pretty fucking important. Yeah, I would say so. I'm sure they make a prosthetic so you can meld two fingers together or something. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we've seen them do some pretty uh, remarkable stuff on Star Trek before. So I want to remind Lieutenant O'Hora to shut up and mind your own business. <laughs> I mean, that was like, I mean, that's not word for word, but I mean, that was, it is out that of was, nowhere. It was implied. It was implied. Yeah. Kirk was definitely a little pissy. Maybe if she had more to do on the ship, because whenever there's communication stuff, normally, you know, as we saw last issue, he just gives it to, uh, to Chekhov. <laughs> uh, yeah. Poor O'Hora. Yeah. <laughs> Good night, everybody. Good night. <laughs>